Welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain the leadership advantage as Ralph pulls wisdom from his bag of over 50 years experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. As as you're describing this, one one of the things that you said is, you know, it takes several years. And, you know, our model was different than yours. But it would take us normally five to seven years before we felt somebody from our congregation was ready to go out and, and do this. And one of the things that we found, and we were always pressing, um, reproduce yourself, reproduce yourself, is maybe half of them did. Most of them were one and done. You know, right now what is going on in Hawaii has kind of uh, really slowed. There, there's nobody there to drive it. And so we're, we're trying to get some people together. We know that there's somebody from uh, New York City that has moved to a small town in, in uh, Hawaii, Waimanalo, intentionally. Uh, they were part of a, a major church in New York City that blew up. And so they, they got all this expertise. They, they know what to do. They know how to you know, move a crowd, all that stuff. And they don't want to do that. So instead of going to Honolulu, they go to the back side of the island to uh, what we would in Hawaii call local, a very local community, a very mostly native Hawaiians. And, um, and it's a small place. And they started there and they're, they're making disciples and preparing guys. And they're, what they're saying is what happened here 40 years ago or whenever it was, uh, Aaron Suzuki and I went there. Uh, that's what we want to re- breathe life into. And so we're really thrilled. So we were kind of peddled to the metal on this thing. And yet, it, first, it took time. And second, uh, no matter what we put into people, a lot of them didn't reproduce. But those that did turn into something really, really uh, wonderful that now reaches around the world. But as you're describing this, um, how, how do you prepare a person inside? What, what is the disciple-making continuum that goes on in Berkeley, in just, just inside of, of, of where your location? Um, so we, I think um, we are much stronger in culture rather than systems. Uh, so, and I, and I only know this because interacting with other groups that are successfully uh, raising leaders and they have a discipleship uh, and leadership pipeline. And I look at their system and um, I don't have a flow chart or I don't have a pathway. We don't have anything like that. Uh, but what we do is um, so the nuts and bolts of it is we'll get on a campus. And this is what we do every, every year in Berkeley as well. Um, Everything resets in the fall for collegiate ministry. It's really interesting. You're a few years away from utter extinction because if you miss the freshman like two years in a row, you're done, you know. But the exciting thing is every fall, you know, one quarter of the campus just materializes, just show up. It's like magic, you know, and they're, they're, they're trying to join up with something. And um, we're going to be there. We're going to get fit, uh, our fair share of uh, people who, who want to seek, seek God and, 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 um, uh, and really pitch. Uh, so 
we, we've developed these the series of, of pitches to uh, seekers and we try to get them in. So, so we get them in um, and, um, and, and once they become Christian, so 75% of our, of our team became Christian at our church. Um, so w- w- once they become Christian, uh, we just sort of immerse them in uh, communal living. Uh, n- not literally communal living because we're, 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 but it's hanging out all the time. One thing we do that's very, very set is our daily devotions. Um, it's, it's daily. And um, recently we innovated and um, we said Mondays and Fridays we'll have prayer meetings, um, you know, and it, these are not large meetings. These are by your small groups. Uh, but that was just a, a recent innovation. Uh, we did it Monday through Friday, a daily devotion, a chunk of text that you reflect on and you, you, you respond to in writing and, and journaling. So we're very pietistic in that, in that aspect. And I think that's one thing we've done uh, in terms of discipleship. You know, when people say discipleship, they mean like content, you know, like you, you grab uh, the Experiencing God booklet or something and you call that. I mean, we do all of those booklets um, time to time and they've been very helpful to us. But discipleship is really doing life together. And as you're as you're serving, as you're working on projects, as you're just hanging out, you know, you just sort of rub off on each other. And then we we do have we do value speaking truth in love uh, because uh, a lot of a lot of our college students, they, you know, they, they have rough edges and, they're, you know, they they need to be they, they, they need to develop, but uh, their parents aren't there anymore. And um, like, who's going to develop them? And so so there's that angle where it's just organically as you do life together, like, hey, you know, like everybody was cleaning up and you're, you're sitting there staring into your phone, you know, like kind of next time, can you be a little clued in on what's going on? You know, things like that. So it's, it's sort of um, like living as a family in some ways. And our ministry is organized by, by home groups. So it's um, usually, um, you know, anywhere between um like the smaller groups will be, you know, five or six and the larger home groups will be even up to 30 uh, before we kind of split that up. Um, so, um, so, so that's generally our approach. And, um, and so we, we use the concept of soil, you know, if the soil is good and you plant the seed, you, you sort of nurture. So there isn't, there isn't a, a system target, uh, you know, by, by senior year, you should be doing this. We don't have anything like that. So even though we don't have these systems and 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 like like a pathway that's sort of defined uh year after year when our college graduates are, are facing graduation they they will look for jobs within the city like they don't want to scatter they want to stay together with their friends with whom they went through uh real forging experiences and and that's sort of the thing it's it's partially because they really want to do what they experienced and and they want to continue to build into the ministry that that saved them and nurtured them in college. And the other thing is, I think there's a recognition that life is a very, the typical American life pathway is pretty isolating. And everybody thinks of themselves as some, some person of destiny, and they're, they're just going to go off and do their thing. And, you know, the, the lonely hero's journey thing for, for guys and, um, and, and loneliness and being like, 
you know, you, you chase your, your, your dream of sort of proving to the world your adequacy or something, uh, and, and you make it. And by the time you do, you look around like you don't have anybody to share that with. You have no friends, you just have acquaintances. And um, the last time you had that was in college. And this is not just Christians. This is just life. And um, here we have a, a template for doing life covenantally. And, um, you know, like I, I, I teach on this, the idea of covenant faithfulness to one another. And it was envisioned in the Old Testament in terms of tribes settling in a common locality where you can have culture and, and historical memory because you're in situated in place. And if, if, if you had to sell land, like, no, buy it for your kinsmen and transplanting that. So we're very like missional, let's go out there, but we're also very communal so that we're, we're, we're kind of, um, so, so what looks like high commitment from the outside uh, regarding our church, because like who picks up in the middle of the pandemic and, and like moves to a strange city and you know, like we had like, like 30 people go to Urbana Champaign, like from, from Silicon Valley, you know, from the Bay Area. So you don't do that unless you have some commitment and zeal. But if you're doing that with a bunch of friends, um, what, what, what it's that, that courage is actually like a, a deep level of connection. And it's like, if you're, you know, if your car breaks down and you're with a, with a bunch of friends, it's not so bad. So I think, um, what we do is really lean into the connectedness and that level of vulnerability and mutual trust happens when you kind of know, Oh, you're not going to go away and I'm not going to move away. Uh, I'm I'm not going to go back home because my parents want me back. I'm not going to go to New York because I got a great offer from an investment banker. Uh, No, I'm going to, I'm going to dial all of those down and really dial up the covenant aspect. And ironically, that makes us a lot more missional because now if I have my friends, I can go anywhere. Wow, that is so liberating. You know, I, our pipeline was, if you're a small group leader and, and you reproduce that group and then you go reproduce another group, you, you know, and the way we would do it is the leader always leaves. The stronger person starts the new group rather than sending somebody out in, in the wilderness, kind of. And so if we'd see you reproduce three times, then we would come and ask you, are, are, w- would you consider planting a church? And that, that was the whole deal. It was organic. It came from within the family. But we were identifying a single person as the church planter. And we would say, you know, take all the people that will go with you. If you've led three microchurches in the church 30 to 50 people are going to go with you sometimes a couple times we gave away well actually four times i think we gave away 20 percent of our congregation on one day uh, one time it was 25 percent to two churches and and but but the, and god blessed us we, we would our numbers would come back within a couple of weeks it'd take longer for the leadership base to build that was the hardest it, it took a little while for the finances to come back, but that was not a big deal. But what we were doing was we're, we're saddling our, our, the way that we approach this is so different than the way that you've approached it, where you're sending a, a team and basically everybody is, is doing ministry bivocationally. So money's not the monster 
that it was for us. So we're, we're funding you, but one guy is, is the church planter and he's got to make budget, you know, about six months after he goes out, the money has run out. And most of them would succeed, but some of them, the money became a monster. And what I'm hearing you say is that as you send a group of people and everybody is going to be bivocational, there isn't this issue. And, and as I'm talking to pastors, uh, younger guys are, are now coming. And, I, and I, I'll lay this on to exponential. I, I, I thank God for Todd Wilson almost every day. I think that, you know, 12, 13 years ago, Todd and Dave get together and the world has really changed. I, I, yeah, I'm, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah, I'm seeing young guys that are going, I don't need seminary. My, 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 I've been discipled. I'm seeing young guys coming out of seminary going, okay, what can I do for a career? Because I need a career that will allow me to start with one or two people and build out from there. And, and so there's no rush to uh, pirate people from other churches so we can draw a crowd. Because that's kind of, you know, that's been the model for so many people. And, and to some degree, uh, that, that infected us. And so uh, speak to us about money. And, and, you know, I mean, I probably have said some of what you guys are, are doing, but just t- talk to us about that, because it's, um, it, it, it really interrupts ministry in many ways. Yeah, um, I, I want to touch on one of the things that you said about um, like sending out that that really effective leader and, and a whole bunch of people following, um, what we focus on more is the um, the ecosystem. Yeah. And so, um, in 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 Darwinism, there's this this idea of um, like the successful individual uh, who has that um, selectively advantageous mutation out survives and out reproduces the others. Well, there, there's, and then they came to realize, wait a minute, no, that's not how it works. How it works is the group, if the group functions well. So like there's a group of birds, let's say, and um, when a hawk dives on them, one of them will expose its breast really bright color and, and, and scream. And, uh, and then the hawk focuses on that bird, but as that bird does it, all the other birds run away. So it's selectively disadvantageous for that one bird. But if your community has that feature, that community out survives other communities who don't have that, what's called the altruism uh, behavior. Um, so you can tell <laughs> I majored in bio and anthropology. So, um, so um, I, I think um, what, what we're betting on, I mean, it's not a strategy, like we're not betting on this. What, what we've discovered is that just because Maybe we're a bunch of Berkeley nerds, and uh, we're we're sort of deficient in huge personalities. But what we've what we've defaulted to is, wait a minute, if Acts two is community, like the community creating uh, gifting, and 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 a, and a group that is a good ecosystem relationally, is the is the church that will eventually succeed in in drawing people uh, to to Christ. So. Um, and then the the finance piece, you know, it, it's it's a little crazy, but um, I think almost a hundred percent of our church tithes, uh, and um, and and you know they they all have good jobs, uh, and they they get paid like too much money for 
just like hanging out at cafes, taking meetings and coding. So, so bivocational ministry um, really, and because we don't have the need for buildings or, or things like that, because we'll just rent a hotel space or some campuses are very open to churches renting uh, right on campus. And so, uh, you know, venue costs um, and uh, things like that, but uh, our salary costs are low because the number of full-timers aren't that high. Uh, So it makes us nimble and um, finance isn't an issue. And people, whatever, whatever ministry they're engaged in, it just comes out of their own pockets and it's open homes and ministry is just like, just having a lot of food and going to Costco a lot and, you know, uh, and, and opening up your home. So finance hasn't been an issue. And it's, 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 it was an issue in the beginning when we didn't have a whole bunch of working people. I remember the days when me and Kelly, you know, we're double income, no kids, and we're buying everything for the church. We're buying the first, you know, laser printer and the first computer back in the, you know, eighties. And, so uh, my first salary when I became a full-time leader was $200 a month. Um, I mean, that's all we could afford. But once uh, guys started to stay and everybody, like if, if you are staying for the purpose of ministry and your, your self-identification is, you know, priesthood of all believers, I'm a minister. Um, the finances is, is the people tithe and then every Thanksgiving we have a, kind of a, a special offering uh, that we that goes to church planting and things like that. And I would estimate that most people um, do more than tithing, probably 15% uh, at the end of the day. And so financially, um, we've, we're finding ourselves in, in a position where it's just never an issue. Uh, it took time, you know, it, it took 10 plus years to get there. But so I don't know. I I just pitch this all the time. Like, even if you're not going to be a long-term collegiate person, a college campus is the best place to plant a church, at least start there because you're going to pour into people and they're malleable. And then they're, and before they overload themselves with a lot of obligations and mortgages and, and, and things like that, uh, they can, and their, their ownership is just off the charts and, and you have an army of kingdom workers uh, after four, five, six years. Well, I think what you just said is, um, I, I would put it up there and say it's prophetic. You know, you know, uh, so many people are going. I want to go to the suburbs. I want to plant with young families. Uh, I, we've always tried to plant with single adults because. They don't bring overhead. They don't bring children. So you don't have to do a kid's ministry. Uh, everybody's a giving unit. Everybody is, is a ministering. You know, they, they, they're functioning because they've got time on their hands. And it's so much easier to, to do this this way. But what you just said about going to a college campus, you've you got these malleable people and they got their whole future in front of them. And there's a whole bunch of them there. So it's, I mean, what a, what a right harvest field this is. I just love hearing this. Um, I, have, I have a question that may not be a good one, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What would you say to, um, to somebody who went to a Bible college, maybe went to a seminary? I, I know a young man right now who's uh, looking for an internship. 
Uh, he's in a Bible college. It's a Pentecostal Bible college, although it's kind of mildly Pentecostal from what people, the stereotypes people would throw out there. And part of his gradu graduation requirement is that he interns in a church for a year. And he's, uh, he's trying to figure out what to do, where to go. And, and, and there's this kind of confusion that comes at this age, you know, 21 years old, so like that. But suppose then he finishes an internship and it's in a prevailing model church. And then he feels God's calling me to, let, let's say, San Diego State. Uh, what does he do as an outsider to make friends? Because I, I, I used to do stuff at UCLA and I was a Bible college graduate. And I, I really felt intimidated. I felt um, that, I, that I, almost like I had to sneak on campus because, you know, if they really knew what I was there for, all that. And I was connected with some pretty radical people, some crusade people and Jews for Jesus. And these guys were nuts. I mean, they're, they're aggressive evangelists, Jews for Jesus. They were amazing to me. But I, I always had this feeling of, you know, I'm like a spy coming into another country. I don't, I don't really belong here. I think the answer to that is, is, is drink a lot of coffee or some beer and make friends, uh, hang out with people. But respond to me. What would you say to, because some of the people who are listening to this are frustrated, disappointed. They're in a prevailing model church. It's not working well. Uh, some are, are struggling with people in the church are opposing what they want to do, what they feel God's called them to do. And now they hear you. And, and you're saying there's this ripe mission field, college campuses across the country. I'd love to go there and do that. But I'm frightened. I, I, I'm intimidated. I don't know what I would do. Speak into that. Yeah, so that's my perception from, from trying to pitch this idea to people. They think uh, college ministry is something so specialized, something um, that you you need to be either, you need to have a PhD or you need to be this super like interesting person that ever, that, that, that just magnetic and everybody you, you want to hang out with. Uh, and then I hear what they want to do. They want to go to a city and like meet people by going to soccer leagues and things like that. And what they describe seems impossible to me. Like, man, more power to you if you can pull that off. Uh, college is a low-hanging fruit as far as I'm concerned. Um, you show up and college, college students are, um, they're not what they're painted out to be. You, you read in the news like people think California is burning all the time, right? Because, you know, it's, it's the forest fires that people read about. A lot of people think college students are this radical left woke, um, very like intellectually snobby. They're not, they just finished their AP test. They just, they just got to campus. Uh, and um, enough of them have people praying for them. Uh, hey, when I go to college, I might want to check out a church. There's enough of them. It's kind of surprising. Uh, there are enough of them who grew up in the church who said, when I go to college, I'm going to go to the frat party. I'm going to walk away from this mediocre, awful experience. And then they meet somebody that invites them to church and they feel like, okay, I think God's telling me not to do that. Come to church. Like they're all, there's a wide range. So first of all, it's not as intimidating and it's not as foreign. It's not as alien as people think. It really isn't. 
They're just, they're just, uh, they're just kids who are going to get preyed upon by lies and, and, and the college culture uh, unless you're there to invite them to something different. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmoore.net.